0: Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce?
1: Served up by Variety Attractions celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence.
0: This episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce is brought to you by Brannigan Inc. For nearly two decades, Brannigan Inc. has energized brands in the entertainment industry, helping fairs and festivals connect with audiences. Their creative, results-driven marketing approach drives attendance and makes communications fun. Check them out at BranniganInc.com.
1: Also, this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Weather Insurance. Spectrum Weather Insurance provides a variety of rain, heat, severe weather, and event cancellation insurance customized for your specific event. They have the experience and expertise that hundreds of events rely on each year. Visit them at SpectrumWeatherInsurance.com.
0: Well, a common theme with our podcast is we like to ask our guests who is their, like, music hero. We always want to hear their story about when they saw their iconic whoever. Give me your story of when you got to see your music icon.
1: Well, I haven't yet.
0: In concert, yes, you have.
1: Well, in concert, yes. Yeah. But not, like, personally. personally. When I first met Donnie Osmond... <laughs>
0: <laughs> i wasn't expecting that when i met paul mccartney in my dreams, dreams no give me a time when you met someone that you've been wanting to meet for years and years and years and you finally met them and it was like everything that you hoped it would be
1: Are we talking about when you came in for your interview? Besides that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, most recently, probably Alice Cooper.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: Alice Cooper, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, scratch golfer, Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it really was amazing to see Alice Cooper on stage and then the man he is off stage. It really impressed me and it was worth the wait.
0: This past summer, I had the pleasure of meeting Toby Keith. I had a vision in my head of you know the s- cool stuff I was gonna say, and I knew all of his songs, and I've been a fan, and blah blah blah. And I froze. I just stood there like a dummy, and I froze. But We're he plumped. was. I was. I was. But he was so genuine and nice and sweet, and it was. Just how I wanted it to go, you know, minus me not being able to say anything. So listen in on our part two conversation with Toby Keith, where he talks about his icon, Merle Haggard.
2: He was my guy. And the beauty of it was, is I was like, someday I'm going to meet him. And about 80% of the time when you meet somebody that you're, that you're, uh, that you're hero, they, it doesn't turn out to be where yours you wish you wouldn't have met them sometimes, mhm,
1: <laughs> that's correct yep. I mean? mm
2: mm-hmm. mhm you just you just meet so many uh there's so many moving parts emotionally and in the ego world of entertainment that by the time you meet, it's like a big letdown' <laughs> Cause it's not in your mind in your mind you've got what you want the meeting to go like, and it usually doesn't go like that. And first day I met Hag, it was exactly like I wanted it to be. He oh, that's awesome. He <laughs> embraced me. He brought me into his fold. From uh, from day one, uh, we switched numbers. He wanted my number. And we were friends. And then uh, it was a TV show Willie did, a big had 40 acts on the bill or something. It was a some big taping for TV that Willie did. Jerry Lee Lewis was on there and, uh, Haggard and, um, uh, there's 40 artists, but it was all genres. It could have been Bob Dylan, I think was there, uh, uh, Clapton or somebody, you know, it could mm-hmm. just have been, it was a who's who. Mm-hmm. Jerry Lee Lewis was going he was gonna let Jerry Lee close the show anyway me and Willie were supposed to sing Georgia on the fast train to open the show. And then Haggard was going to come out and we were going to do Poncho and Lefty. And so they were figuring out what parts everybody was going to sing. And, uh, Haggard said, you, you sing this part right here, Toby, on the teleprompter, you sing that part, sing that whole verse. Cause Willie always sings. Too damn much on this song anyway. <laughs> and Willie's standing right there. And Hag is, <laughs> Hag is just telling him, you know, Toby, you're gonna sing there because he's he's always singing. I thought he always sang too much on this record anyway. So we do it and we get done. They saw All right everybody clear the stage for the next rehearsal. And Hag goes, Hey, I never got to sing with Toby. Willie got to sing with him, I never got to sing with him. And the producer goes, We all can sing together. But we just don't have much time for rehearsal. And I said, uh, he goes, what song you want to do? And I said, I'll well, do your song. Do one of your songs. He said, Mama Tried Nay. And I think Brent Mason was the guitar player back there. he took off on that intro lick to Mama Tried. And we did a verse and chorus and ended the song and said, all right, it'll be in the show tonight. It was one of my favorite recordings ever. All Star Guts but." I also got to sing with him on what I think was Hagg's last show. As far as I know, it was the last show he worked before he passed away and he needed the money. It was a private party for Cabela's and he needed the money. He said he was about ready to lose his band. He was fragile. He was on oxygen. And I said, if you needed money, I'd have sent you money. You don't have to work. He goes, no, another man can't pay another man's bills. And uh, I'm about to lose my band. I'm going to come work this little show. But he said, I don't expect much because check was a train wreck. And so he goes, you're going to get up and do one with me? I said, sure. Mm-hmm. Call me up whenever you want me. He said, I'll call you up the end so it'll be a big surprise. So he walks in. I've got a picture of me and him walking into the final final show, and uh, he got up there and uh, tears rolling down my face because he was struggling, Mm -hmm. and I felt pitiful. I I felt sorry for him. Mm -hmm. And about the third song, he sucked it up and got his second win. It got better. About the fourth song, it got better. And by the fifth song, I had tears rolling down my face out of emotion of joy. He was like killing it. He sounded Mm -hmm. great. He was playing. He was singing. And then, boom, about the eighth song, he hit a wall. Mm -hmm. And uh, he called me up. He said, I'm going to bring a friend of mine up here. So I went up. And uh, he said, sing a few for us. Let him catch his breath. He says, what do you want to do? I said, whatever's next on the list, I know every one of them. (laughs) And they said, uh, Red Bandana's next. I said, Kick It. And they kicked it. And I did several songs, like maybe six or eight. And then he said, won't you do one that ain't on the list? So I looked at the list and uh, Sing Me Back Home, the old prison song, wasn't on there for the night. And I Mm -hmm. said, all right, do that. So we played that. And then he played the solo on that. I've got a film of that. Wow. That. He played the solo on that telly, killed it. And then um, he kicked into Oki from Muskogee, took about two or three rounds around the band, let him play solos, walked to the front of the stage, and took his hat off, lifted it above his head, thanked everybody, and uh, walked off stage. And he said, hug me and got in the golf cart take him to the bus. And he said, thank you for helping me get my check tonight. Mm-hmm. That's the last time I've seen him. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Uh, he, he would call. He would call. He came to Oklahoma and my mom went and seen him. My mom and my sister took a group to see him, like at Muskogee or somewhere. And I get a phone call. I'm on the road. And I get a phone call and he goes, hey, Toby, this is Hag. I said, Hey Merle, he said, "Is your mom okay?" And I was like, uh, "Is there something I don't know?" <laughs> he goes, "No, I'm up here at a casino in Oklahoma, and she's not here." And I said, "Oh well, she, hell, she can't make every one of your shows just because you're." <laughs> he thought every time he came to every time he came to Oklahoma that that uh, my mom and her crew was supposed to be there, you know. And uh, <laughs> I was like, "Just because you're in Oklahoma don't mean she's gonna be there." He she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a sweet soul, though
0: um, when you get to play with you know your friends and some of the greats um you mentioned "Beer with my Horses," and you did that song with uh Willie Nelson. is he just a complete joy to work with?
2: He is, and the reason we picked him the reason we thought I thought it because the redheaded Stranger album was a western piece and He's, he's done a lot of that redheaded stranger stuff, you know, time of the preacher and all that. And so this piece is about a, uh, this is a, this is an old, uh, posse Western piece where the Cowboys in the Western movies, you know? And so there'd probably be no way, um, there'd be no way for anybody to have lived long enough to have told their grandson, how they did it in 1850, you know? So, so I thought, well, I'll just take a guy from the twenties or thirties and let him be the grandson, 1920 or 30. And he's dealing with the Capone and the gangsters, you know? Mm -hmm. And so his dad would have been born in the late 1800s, but his grandpa would have been. So I thought, uh I thought let's let's piece this uh bandit, bandits to uh to old school gangsters uh together and then there was a movie I can't remember the name of it, but it, somebody in the movie said something uh bear from a horses and whiskey from a man or some version of, of that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like they've been on a posse ride. But the old man that I rodeoed with when I was a kid that worked the stock in the back, he always said, pulled his pine out of his pocket at the end of the night, said, whiskey from a man, beer from a horse. So I always wanted to write that. So we wrote this uh, Western piece. You know, When I asked Willie about it, I said, hey, I got a song if you'd ever want to sing on one. And he goes "We'll send it to the office, and he turned around and he said, hey, she sent it to the office and let me listen to it. I said, All right. And he said, What's the name of it? And I said, uh, whiskey from a man and beer from a horses. He goes, I don't even need to hear that. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so Toby, so,
1: our podcast is called Which Way is Catering, which is usually the first line from whoever gets off your tour bus when you arrive at a venue. Uh, hey, where's where's catering? Do you have but, any? Do you Do you have any good backstage meet and greet stories you can share with us?
2: I, I'm trying to think. I've probably forgot the best ones, um,
0: <laughs> or at least tried to the, forget uh, them.
2: <laughs> I always like it when you got those uh, great big crew guys. You know, those uh, like we've always had two or three crew guys that were three times as big as they're supposed to be. You know. <laughs> Uh, uh, one of the hardest times I laughed is this guy probably Wade. this guy do you know Kirby My, uh, David's assistant David Milam's assistant have you ever met Kirby no not we yet nope know? so Kirby's kind of got a big head he's stocky <laughs> and and uh, well, this other dude that worked with us he was a sound I think he was monitor guy Anyway, he's about 450 pounds. He's sitting over there mm. catering, and he's instead of one plate of food, he's got like three plates of food. And uh, and kind of got it, kind of got his arms around him like he's protecting it while he's eating. Like you know, <laughs> nobody. Cares. And Kirby walks in and gets a plate full of food, and the big dude hollers out. Look at the head on him. Look at the fat head on him. Would y'all rather have a hundred dollars or Kirby's head full of nickels? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like I was like, dude, that's the pot calling the kettle black right there. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. <sighs> so it you just see uh I was I was opening for Brooks and Dunn one season. It was around ninety eight or something right in there no no it was earlier than that this was ninety four, ninety five. anyway mm. they had these uh ramps that unfolded during their show that they could each walk out on these we called them ego ramps we one of them could walk ego out ramps. but during during my show they were folded up so it kind of blocked the arena to the right and the left so uh, i'd go out there and climb them suckers you know during my show They're folded up and and I would climb them and stand on top of them. They're about eight, 10 feet high. And then I could see this audience to the right and this audience to the left that these ramps, until they're unfolded, they block some view. So I'd go climb them. So the stage manager got really mad and, uh, he said, "Kicks and Ronnie, pay really good money for, for, uh, for those ramps. And you're not supposed to be on them. And I was like, F off!" You know, I was like, <laughs> "They're not even a, they're not even rolled out. They're just a they're just a big pile of aluminum." Yeah. And, and uh, so anyway, we they argued. they said, "Ronnie's not gonna Ronnie's Ronnie's upset." And you're not. You shouldn't. You better not get on them tonight. So second song, I climbed them. You know. I went right out. <laughs> and so I saw. Ronnie and catering and I saw that stage manager walking him through, kissing his ass, um, you know, in line cause Ronnie never came. They never came to catering. They just showed up for the show back then. And I got up and walked right over to Ronnie while that stage manager was standing there. I said, Hey, Ronnie, he goes, yeah. I said, do you have any problem with me climbing them folded up ramps on the side where I can see the audience over He goes. No man, I ain't got no problem. I said. I looked at the other guy. I said I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, years later, we were out with them again, and I and How You Like Me Now had hit, and every promoter in the world was saying, "As soon as you get off that tour, we're taking you worldwide. You're, you're, you're a head. You're a bona fide, big time headliner, mm-hmm. and we're going." And, and we we're standing catering, Ronnie said, thanks for being out here. And I said, uh, I said, this is a great tour. It was a uh, Keith Urban open, Montgomery Gentry was in the two hole. I was in the three and it was the wild neon rodeo circus or whatever they call that thing. Mm-hmm. I went over at Ronnie and I said, uh, are y'all con- going to continue this tour? He said, what do you care? You made more money than I did on it. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. He said, you you know, but we were selling a lot of T-shirts. And uh, and he had the overhead. You know, yeah. he had the overhead carrying the the stage and everything. And I was just showing up, getting my money, which was a pretty good chunk. And then I was selling a lot of T-shirts. So, it was it was like, I'm getting out of there with uh, mostly profit." And uh, they're carry- they're having to carry the deal, but uh, they became great friends. Me and Ronnie wrote on that tour. We wrote songs. We had fun, and we made good friends today. They were good to us too.
0: That's awesome. When so after you did that tour, and then you were a bona fide headliner, like you said, what was some of the favorite venues of yours that you've played? Like those first big shows that you did?
2: The the two craziest year in and year out: Pittsburgh and Boston. It was, uh, Mm a. it was like, um, Boston, the radio station, Boston would say, uh, summer's not over till I get there. Hmm. You know
0: what I mean?
2: No matter what, it's like, it probably starts getting cold up there around September. I don't know, but I'm guessing.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And whenever we played there, they would just every year say, uh, the touring, seat, the, the amphitheater, uh, summer isn't over till Toby gets here, and and it was always madhouse crazy, and Pittsburgh was probably even one more notch above that. It was just nuts. It, it, they they were just like, and I I don't know what it was. It was like uh, I played a, a regatta there one time, and uh, only had a couple of songs. And I was opening for somebody, and I don't even remember who it was, but somebody that was like a year or two ahead of me. And we each had to do an hour, and it was at a regatta on the river um, boat race thing in Pittsburgh. And it was just like, I run over the thing. It was just, the people were just like, they knew album songs, and it was like, wow, what's this affection, what's this bond I have with (laughs) Pittsburgh? Well, then we hit the dang um amphitheater out there and it was like fire marshal stuff it was like the fire marshal would come in and and shut it down and you know what i'm saying yeah and oh yeah it was just crazy it's like you can't go on right now so i'm supposed to be on at nine the other act come off at eight twenty, and we've got 40 minutes to get ready for us and or whatever and it's nine o'clock and we need to go on for the people and they're like, You got fifteen hundred people that ain't even got in the building yet. Dang. They ain't even got in the venue. And I was like I said, Well, how many can be here? And they said, Well, we don't know, we got a ticket count, but if the rule is if they can park you they'll take you. Well, if people are coming through or four to a car instead of one or two, pretty soon they're they're not being able to process people and you've crammed sardines into the can and now so like, give us give us thirty minutes, and finally, they just said, "Hey, that's it. You know, take your uh, here's your money back if you bought a ticket." And uh, we're sorry, fire marshal just said no. Uh, but that was just nuts every year, and uh, Boston was right there with it. But more cities were uh, touched, uh, hit or miss on the. Uh, you know, like if you've got a state fair going on in Southern California, and you show up at San Bernardino Art Theater and you sold it out last year and twenty five thousand tickets, and then you you come in there and you do twenty three thousand, it's like the fair's going on or something. You know, it's a, but it never mattered. That never mattered in Boston or. From Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh. It's crazy.
1: So Toby, speaking of crazy and off the hook, why don't you tell Justine and I a little bit about your wrestling career?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so
2: Jeff Ronnie and Donnie Harris who wrestled under several different names on TV, WWE and stuff. They they were friends of mine and, and Jeff Jarrett was a friend of mine and he started the TNA stuff on uh, pay-per-view. And he had uh, Scott Hall and Big Papa Pump. And I think he even ended up getting staying and Hogan and a bunch of them over there. But there was a bunch of people there. Dusty Rhodes and Bullet Bob was uh, the announcers. And uh, Courtesy of Red, White, and Blue just come out. And I was lifting a lot. I was doing some movies and some other stuff. So I was, I was back in the gym five, six days a week. He goes, why don't you come in here? and, uh, and wrestle with us. And I said, okay. I said, uh, and my manager TK was like, we got all this going on and you want to get in there with these <laughs> knuckleheads, you know, <laughs> and I said, yeah, I go in there and he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come out and sing this song. I'm going to come out and piss on your song and make fun <laughs> of you. And then we're having a 10 man last man standing a cage match, three hours later, they'll forget about what happened at the first of the show. And then you come out in a sleeveless shirt, slide under the rope, and uh, and throw me in a suplex. I said, okay. Little did I know, I'm up there singing. I'm looking around, I'm on the ramp singing this song, which is like the number one song in the nation at the time. And I'm looking around the audience, and I don't see, I don't see Jeff Jarrett, and uh, he comes out, pushes me around something anyway, busts the neck out my guitar. Ooh. And when you're, you know, you're mad now, you're like really
0: mad. You know? like, actually mad.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, so you're like, they're gonna make sure that you're mad. They don't want you just pussyfooting around, you know. So it was easy for me to just tear into him and start screaming, and even my assistant got mad at him. He's like, mmm, <laughs> "We didn't call for this shit, you know? <laughs> so we didn't come up here for this." Shit. So he goes. So at the end of the deal, I'm just sitting in the back talking to some buddies of mine, and they whistle, and I look, and Scott Hall's waving from the ring. Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, that guy, he's waving from the ring. So I look and they've got Jeff bent over, and I go sliding in there and get him by the head and pick him up over my head, and I turn and show the whole audience what he looks like, and then I, <laughs> and I slammed him. <laughs> so did you have
1: to? Did you guys have to rehearse that or practice that? Because you, uh, well, unless you're that kind of dude, and I'm sure you are, Toby. But you could probably just walk in there and just do it.
2: Well, they show you. How to not hurt yourself.
1: Oh, right.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good.
1: That's good.
2: Or they just, it still felt like I was in a car wreck. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, when you're falling, you know, when you're falling that far and you don't have nothing to put your, you're falling flat on your back, just straight back. So it was like, I wanted him to take the full, uh, the full thing. So I just fell flat with him. But you just talk about not being able to put your hands down. I've got a hold of him in front of me, so as I fell back, I just timber. It just we just fell. So oh, his, you... feet
0: were,
2: his feet were probably twelve feet in the air. You know, middle of his back was eight or nine feet in the air. It's
0: like a trust and, fall.
2: Yep. Yeah. And so when you get there, they start saying, you, "You know how to do a suplex?" And I go, "Kinda." And so they stick a guy in there, and they see. You. You get it like this, you do this, you do, and uh, they kind of show you. I did it one time, and it hurt, and I said, they was to go again. I said, no, we're going to do it in the show tonight, and that's it. I ain't going to sit in here and do this thing 10 times. You mean
1: you mean <laughs> you didn't
2: want to go back in there and, like, kind of jump from the top
1: rope or anything? No. And... <laughs> no, I didn't.
2: But uh ton of respect for those guys that travel around making that living. They do that every night in those arenas and you see them once a week on TV, but they're still going around in arenas doing that stuff every night. And I'm surprised that the guys that have retired after 20 years or something can even walk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you see see the rock in the movies, you see, um, John Cena, you see some of these guys doing other stuff now, but you really wonder how they can even walk after, Doing that night in, night out, it's a yeah, yeah. It's got it's a beating.
1: Anything interesting ever happen at a meet and greet with you guys?
2: My long association with Ford and Ford trucks, you know, mm-hmm. that's a big part of my meet and greet. So you know, you're going to get respect. Just you're just going to get normal, respectful stuff there. There's a couple that I'm just absolutely not going to share on here that are just <laughs> too. Far out. Uh, yeah, that, did. that That's
1: okay. That's all right. I thought maybe you could share something because I'm you'd sure love you, you've love, seen it all.
2: You'd love, to have them, you'd love to have them on this podcast. But uh, first of all, the, uh, I'll just say this much. There was a person with some uh, – there was a couple came through. One of them had on white cut-off jean shorts, mm. and uh, they had had an accident. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, so it was, you know, you come through, you get your picture took, and our people take the picture, and then they give you a card, and you go on a website, and you download your picture from that website. Mm-hmm. At the end of the show, we, they were showing me, they were going, this has been posted on, we didn't know it, but this has been posted already on the page. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> It's, uh, there I am grinning like y'all see it. In <laughs> oh my!
1: Now the so person I... in the cutoff shorts was it male or female?
2: <laughs> female. Okay. But it, it was bad. Anyway. Is, anyways, you
0: know, yeah, that is bad. Uh,
2: I had a woman come through. She came to the meet greet. She said, "Would you like a massage
0: hmm. in front
2: of everybody?" And I said, uh, "I said no, thank you." And she says, "I'm good." And I said, "How good are you?" And she held her hands up. She had six fingers on each hand. Said, said, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> she said, "I'm good." I said, "Wow." <laughs> mm. So, I mean, how far huh. you want to go with this? How far you want to go with that? No, you're
0: good. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're, good.
1: you're good, Toby. You're
0: good. No, you're good. Maybe yeah. more stories uh, another time, another place. <laughs> yeah. Well, Toby,
1: we really appreciate your time today and joining us on our podcast, Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce and all the kind words that you had to say about George Moffat and Variety Attractions.
2: George, as peculiar as he could be sometimes and cantankerous, he always had a love for his artist and uh, he was uh, was the best. And I really, uh, I'm glad I got to tell him.
0: Bruce and I want to thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce.
1: If you'd like to drop us a line, you can email us at whichwayiscatering at gmail.com or visit us at varietyattractions.com.
0: A big thank you to our sponsors, Branigan Inc. and Spectrum Weather Insurance.
1: Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce.
0: Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence.
1: That's fabulous.